0: IT businesses in From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT. With your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and
1: Carl Polachuk. Welcome to episode 151 of the Killing It, Killing
0: Killing it
1: podcast. This is Carl, joined today by Ryan and Dave. Almost as always, we're going to have a a special guest coming up, not today.
0: You tease, you tease. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little. All right, gents. Who's the worst boss you've ever had? Well,
1: I have to say, I'm kind of in the category of many people that the last boss I ever had is the worst boss I ever had. And therefore, I am a consultant. (laughs) The, The last company I worked for had a great, great, great general manager, uh, and then she left and was replaced by a complete moron who destroyed the culture just shockingly fast. and um, by the time that I left, every other manager in the company had left and so I was the last manager to leave <laughs> uh, but I had I had put in place an entire system so that nobody would miss me so.
2: See, and, and this is the thing. Without uh saying any names to cause any legal liability in either direction, uh, exactly. I will say that uh when I was a young person, um I had a job, was working as a copywriter in a marketing department, and um I had a boss who was not just a micromanager, and you guys have heard me rant about micromanagers before, so I'm not surprised about where it comes from, right? Um, not just a micromanager, but a really condescending micromanager to the extent of, um, I was sitting in my cubicle one day, I was I was working on some copy for a marketing brochure and, and he stood over my shoulder for a minute and I was like, you know, kind of whatever. And, and you notice that he's over your shoulder and it starts to get a little bit awkward. So I turned around and I looked and he goes, well, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm writing this brochure. And he looked at me and he said, um, I don't see you writing. And I said, well, typing is different <laughs> from writing. Writing involves using your brain, and he did not appreciate that. And I got a call to the HR office. So, uh, <laughs> I would I would naturally say that that individual, if I if I had a worse boss than that, it would not have lasted for very long. <laughs> See, I, I'm
0: struggling with this question because I have three <laughs> candidates, and it depends on what on what I consider the worst. If I go back like to the one that for. And again, I'm going to be vague, so I don't name anybody. But like, if I go back to the one that was worst personally for me, it was the person uh, who was not good at boundaries uh, and didn't understand that like you did not pay me for 24 by seven; you paid me for the time like you paid me for the time I was committed to. And it. it was a uh, I was not good at pushing back on it based on that experience. But it was a but it was a very bad boss situation. If I go towards the person that I thought was the most destructive to the organization, that's a different candidate, right, who I worked for who was just not good at their job and did – like, and I didn't get along with, but I was much savvier and and so managed it. But I think I'm going to actually go with the one who, in hindsight, I'd actually wish I'd acted on sooner because uh, was sexist, misogynistic, and at times – Flirted with with racist comments, uh, definitely misogynistic, and and I feel guilty for not actually doing enough about it, uh, and recognized it for what it was, and let it go a little too much. And in when I'd step back and I think about the worst boss, I actually think that was the worst because it was the most corrosive both the working relationship I had, but also to the organization. Yeah.
1: I mean, they always talk about, I always talk about culture comes from the top down. Otherwise it bubbles from the bottom up. And, uh, you know, this, this boss that I had was literally in addition to being completely incompetent, just a horrible, horrible
2: person. And (laughs) in the spirit of the business consulting advice that we give out on this show, um, uh, culture matters, people, and uh, culture does, it, it, the boss matters in the culture and the culture is reflective of the uh, the way that leaders lead. And if you do not have a good culture in today's competitive hiring environment, that's going to be a business problem for you, right? Like, so, uh, Let's never yep, yep. be vo- volunteered by any future podcast hosts as being one of those worst bosses. <laughs>
0: This week, we're brought to you by a new sponsor, SafeDNS, the web filtering solution for MSPs. With an ever-increasing number of cyber attacks and data loss, customers ask, how do I deal with it? The answer, add an extra layer of protection. Web filtering solution on a DNS level. Deploy SafeDNS and be protected in minutes. With a reseller panel and white-label capability, generate more recurring revenue with ai-powered dns threat protection all with 24 by 7 support want to learn more check them out at safedns.com so our first topic
1: today is about the and i'm i'll find a better link that's not behind a paywall but it's about the stolen bitcoin that's been in the news on the day that we're, we're recording this $3.6 billion in stolen Bitcoin recovered. And the interesting thing is, you know, wait a minute. My first response was, I thought Bitcoin was supposed to stop all this stuff. Well, it turns out it's very similar to all other lo- money laundering techniques. Somebody gets a hold of the Bitcoin and takes it, and then they proceed to spread it out amongst different wallets. So the bad news is it can be stolen. Uh, the good news is, Once the government finds it, they can track it backwards because that blockchain is, in fact, intact, and they know every transaction from the minute that it was stolen till the minute that they found it. So they recovered 3.6 out of 4.5 billion, which means there's still
0: almost a billion dollars missing. You mean a totally anonymous currency is difficult to track down? I'm shocked, I say. <laughs> like I, this is one of those bits where again, like I always call it the black mirror effect, right? Like have you thought of the downside of this? It's like, "Oh, we're going to make a completely completely anonymous currency." Yeah, okay, that will result in people using it for nefarious actions. That's not to say that I am, am anti-crypto. Like in fact, I actually think digital currency is the future. I actually do, however, think that there is some value in, I don't know, central banks and, <laughs> and financial policy and and, the, and someone watching out to make the system is working. I think going to the extreme end, I'm just not so, so much a fan because oftentimes it's the downsides that aren't thought about. Now, by the way, the upside here is is when you do have a proper digital transaction record, it can be used for forensics, right? And that's the the element where it's like, okay, I get the upside here, but I also want to say like when you specifically design into it that it's anonymous, shocking, it's anonymous. (laughs) Now, I had had
2: two immediate reactions when I saw this story earlier today. Um, Number one, can you imagine how frustrating and maddening it must be to be this particular criminal? Because if you guys caught in the details of the story, the heist did not happen yesterday. The heist actually occurred in 2016, and then they divided it and they moved it around and they did this and they did that. And then they thought six years later that it would have been long enough that they could bring it back out of the shadows into the world. Now, you you committed the perfect crime. You got away with it for six years. And what I also thought was amazing was that when they stole this Bitcoin, it was worth somewhere in the neighborhood of $450 million. But because of the appreciation in the asset class, uh, it's now worth $4.5 billion. And they must have just been thinking, oh my God, I am the world's smartest criminal." except that my second immediate reaction was you stole something with an immutable digital tracking chain that is literally designed to be trackable for its reason of existence like now i'm not saying you're wily e. coyote here or anything but you are obviously not the world's smartest c- criminal when you're stealing something that literally can never be laundered
1: well, the interesting thing is, you know, people always say that this is kind of like, you know, people with too much money uh, try to figure out where to put it. And one of the things that they always bring into the conversation is artwork, right? Because it, it's, you know, easy to say that thing right there is worth this much money. And every time you sell it or buy it, uh, the money, the, the price goes up and so forth and so on. And it's stored value. It's a, it is a fungible token. <laughs> and but but. This is one of those cases where, yes, Bitcoin is a lot like artwork. You you can steal the Mona Lisa, but then you have to hide it under your couch so nobody will ever find it. You can't show it off in public,
2: right? <laughs> That's exactly right. And I don't think, again, uh, I, the the net takeaway from this one to me is positive from a technological point of view. The, the blockchain works right? Like now, I don't believe that it is such impenetrable code that no hacker will ever try or succeed at getting inside of that. But at least as far as we are today, what we've just learned was, even from six years ago, things put through an entire series of washing machine tactics that stuff still comes back literally identifiable. Uh, I don't know about you guys. Uh, it doesn't change my mind so much about the immediate prospects of crypto displacing the dollar, but it does make me think, you know, all those industrial applications for supply chain and componentry and all the the the, the stages of custodial ownership, I'm feeling really confident about the blockchain today.
0: Well, blockchain may blockchain maybe digital current digital currency is a broad sense. I'm interested in uh, some of the specific instances. I think are uh, not long termly long term viable. Uh, but I also want to want to observe that I think that the reason the volatility is a feature when when there are some, particularly those earlier in their career or lives, and such that want to uh, put something into volat- in a volatile investment vehicle, I get it. Like, I totally get it. Uh, But I don't necessarily think that that, that's the long-term economic future.
1: (laughs) Well, and Dave, you had mentioned banks. You know, there's a lot of banks that are creating, you know, Chase has its own crypto and other organizations, other um, financial institutions are creating their own cryptocurrencies, specifically because it's stable and so forth and so on. And I just wonder if they have the same weaknesses of Bitcoin. I think that they're a little less weak because they are not anonymous. Like this is, this is chased, you buy it legally, you track it, you, you send a, the government a note about it, right? And, and so it's not intended to be an off the
0: grid uh, kind of well, investment. Sadly, that's it for- Well, out, out of time for this one. one. So we'll, we, we, I'm sure we'll pick it back up again. Instead, let's talk more broadly about trust. Uh, We're referencing an article in The Atlantic, and I will freely admit I was completely fascinated by it. Uh, The headline is The End of Trust, and uh, suspicion is undermining the American economy. It's a broad look at how trust is required to drive things forward, and we are in a ever-changing space of lower trust. Uh, I loved this line from within it. Trust is to capitalism what alcohol is to wedding receptions, a social lubricant. <laughs> Gents, do you agree? Are we in a world of loss of trust and, and is it impacting the economy? Well, based on
1: the comment that uh, Ryan made in the last topic or at the, in, at the beginning when we were talking about culture, you know, part of the trust is that, and we've covered this many, many times there are employers who don't trust that their employees can work from home or that they can't work without being you know, watched every minute of the day. And I, I think part of that is, yeah, there might be less trust. On the other hand, it, it also just sheds light on the need for people to measure performance based on performance <laughs> instead of watching somebody work. And so I, I think that the trust comes to good managers when they say i need this outcome and then they they get the outcome and they pay for it and you know that i think that's much more of the workforce of the future than having somebody clock in and clock out uh, 8 hours a day
2: yep and and again carl if you take that multiplied by the concept of the blockchain being a digital approach to trying to recreate the concept of trust in commercial transactions what you're saying is we wouldn't need that if we actually trusted each other so the fact that it exists means that collectively as a society as an economy we don't trust each other and that's one of those you know human foibles right when you ask people are are you trustworthy oh 100% do you trust other people oh no everybody's a liar uh, wait a minute, <laughs> either we're all liars or not all of us are, but I can't believe that each one of us believes we're the only one who's doing the right thing and everybody else is out to get you. I think it is, at the way this article explains it, it is an overall decline over decades to a point where it is now directly impacting not just the culture and the society, but also the economy, the ability to do business. We spend a lot of time when we're doing sales training and coaching, talking about the concept of credibility, right? We talk about, you know, when when somebody agrees to do business with you, they did it because they needed to get an outcome. They they bought what you were selling because they think it's the great product. It, It meets their budget. It meets their functional requirements. But in the end, what is the real answer to the question of why did that person buy that thing from you? The answer is because you told them to and they believed you. That's the definition of credibility in a business environment. They agreed to give you their money, not because of what it is, but because of who you are. And if that goes away, the entire machine melts down. And I think it, you, you take this out of the macro and into the micro of our specific audience of MSPs. Um, you sign a long-term contract for very proprietary services attached to data, information, financial vehicles, systems, employees, et cetera. If you don't have trust in your business, A, nobody's gonna sign a three year contract with you and B, if they do, they are going to ratchet you down on price because you become a functional commodity, not a trusted partner. And I, I just – I can't imagine any of the topics that we're talking about that's more material to the success of our industry. We make a lot of promises. Yeah. We sell a lot. Of I jewelry. think a
0: lot these days about the disruption in the space, like the disruption in work, disruption in, in, the, in the model and such. And, and one of the things that I think a lot about is also the element of the non-business stuff that affects business. Um, and I think be, you know, right now, the great resignation, right? Most of the, when everyone loves to analyze it, it's always about business. But ultimately, when you look at it, people are changing because they're unhappy. They want something else out of life. They have, like, these are all factors that are, that are outside the scope of business. I start this, this way of thinking by saying, how do I want to live my life? I know just empirically, it is so much more fun to live life where I trust more than I distrust because my experience has been most people are both kind and generous when given the opportunity. And you actually create environments of distrust when you are distrustful. If you think about the env- the area of when you go somewhere and you are looking around and thinking everyone's going to mug you or attack you or jump out from you, like – People are standoffish from that, but if you enter in an environment where you're smiling and you are engaging and you are uh, you are you are a pleasant person to be around, you are much more likely to have pleasant experiences. When I extend that into the business world, I understand that there's going to be an element of yes, there is the potential for downside, but it has been also my experience that more often than not. When you give, you also get, <laughs> and and that it is much more of a pleasurable environment to build. When I offer trust as the starting point, and only have to to make changes when I am proven wrong, but more often than not, I'm surprised. And however, that that takes investment in to build a. Larger organization that thinks that so it's one thing to control my own perspectives on life. It is far different to build organizations, entire you know systems of, of of inherent trust. That is hard, especially when we spend a lot of time over on the security side thinking about how we have to preach things like zero trust, right? Like for example, mm-hmm. we just build systems that trust no one, but people relationships that are trusting. They are at odds. I'm not saying this is easy, but as I always quip, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it, it wouldn't be profitable.
1: <laughs> I like the, uh, the uh, introduction of the, the concept of zero trust into the conversation because ultimately, Bitcoin is a zero trust technology, right? It is designed for me to, to trust that I'm going to get the money and you're going to get the goods and it's all in the blockchain, right? And we don't have to actually know, like, or trust each other, which is... Traditionally, that's how we define the people we do business with; those we know, like, and trust. And so, you know, with all business, the first piece of the relationship is the hardest. After you get to know somebody, and you say, "Oh, I build them on a regular basis; they pay me on a regular basis." Well, then things get a little easier. Um, but if they don't pay you on a regular basis, then you're being in and say, "Okay." I, I, I have a nervousness about this relationship that will continue <laughs> until I get paid on a regular basis. Uh, so, you know, it, it's not, the rules haven't really changed. It's just the environment we live in.
2: Well, and, and that's the thing, right? It, the question is the environment. And Dave, I think you touched on something that is probably a whole lot more widely applicable than we thought when we were originally discussing this. Um, anonymity is the, the fuel that, burns away credibility and trust. If I know who you are, then I know whether or not I can trust you. I know whether or not I like you. If I don't know who you are, if you are anonymous, A, you're going to do nefarious things with your Bitcoin, and B, you're going to shitpost all over Twitter and the Internet. You know what? I've, for many years, I have been a person strongly advocating the concept of, you can say whatever you want, anywhere you want. We live in a society of free speech. Choose your name.
0: Well, I'll, right. I'll give this you a la- I'll give a last thought as we move away from this I intentionally I only post occasionally like on Reddit particularly in like the RMSP forum but every single time I do I sign my name at the end of my post and that is intentional like it because be, for, for that same ev- to order to gain trust I must offer it but I put my name on that but oh, we're out of time. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Let's go into topic three here. And in, in uh, one of our Ripped from the Headlines segments, um, there's there was a potential for the world's largest ever deal in the chip industry, a merger acquisition between the folks at ARM and at NVIDIA, NVIDIA buying ARM from SoftBank. And a couple of months ago, we talked about this when it was announced. And I remember vividly all three of us going, wow, that's a big move. How in the world can that possibly get through regulatory approval? Well, uh, spoiler alert, it didn't. And the regulators said that not only would this be anti-competitive, but anti-innovation is what they were fearing. That the, the developers would be less motivated to compete and improve, and they would jack up the prices on things. So, because this is something right up our alley, and we've been talking about this one before. Uh, what, what are your thoughts, guys, about the decline or the demise of the ARM-NVIDIA deal?
1: I'm actually on both sides of this issue, because I would say on one hand, you know, I think they did a really good job of building and, and literally spending years building an arm's length relationship that would come into existence. And so at some point, you have to ask, well, can, can we ever have big corporations again, <laughs> right? Are we, are we rejecting this because we think they might be able to do wrong? Without there being any evidence other than that they're trying really hard to do right. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm not sure which way we should go in the future, but I do think that this puts a lot of pressure going forward on all the chip makers because we currently have a shortage. So I'm not worried about the prices being jacked up. The prices are already jacked up because we can't
0: get any <laughs> chips. So I, I want to yeah. piggyback off the previous conversation for a moment and observe that regulators didn't veto the deal. Regulators asked and asked questions and, quote, raised serious concerns. They asked a bunch of questions and SoftBank could not answer them in a way that would pass regulatory <laughs> scrutiny. So let me observe just to, i mean I know I'm oversimplifying but it's an important oversimplification when asked by regulators if it was in compliance with law they said thought it probably isn't we're going to back off because if it was they would have been able to answer those concerns and proceed with the deal I think that's kind of important to look at this and say like in a way the system did work in that we have set some guidelines for the way the rules of engagement are they looked at it and said well maybe we're just gonna try and skate on by and when when asked about it they the answers weren't good enough I think that's important like it was again it didn't happen where regulators said no you cannot do it they instead said can you answer these questions and they said they couldn't
2: Well, and so to to your point, right, SoftBank said they couldn't answer. NVIDIA did provide the answers. And in the light of our previous conversation about trust, I found this quote from the article to be absolutely enlightening. NVIDIA offered to competition regulators that it would maintain sales to arms other customers after the deal was completed. Right? I'm not going to cut you off, not going to have any anti-competitive behavior. However, the UK's Competition and Markets Authority said it did not believe any such arrangements could be effective.
1: You see, that's that's exactly the point, because oversimplification aside, in the real world, what what we've done is we've got to a point where the regulators are saying the potential for evil is here. And so even though no evil has been done and they're working really hard to avoid that situation, we're going to not let them proceed because there might be evil here. Um, At some point you have to acknowledge that the, uh, the inability for ARM to have the money of NVIDIA reduces the speed at which we can innovate going forward. Like that's the cost of this is we slow down innovation.
0: Well, or is it though? Because I because I think it leaves space for uh, a smaller competitor to be able to be agile and be in there. You you've proven that you don't necessarily need as big a pile of money to enter that space because that you know they are not dominated at such a level of financing. Because it's not that ARM is a bad business, and it's not that it's not viable. So there is a space here for competitiveness. I, I think it actually is working the way that it's supposed to because it is keeping the ability for competitors to be in there. If ARM is as good as they are and they can keep everybody out by just being awesome, then go forth and be awesome, right? But if, if, if somebody else wants to compete. Well, that brings up another point, which is that, you know, and again, I love to be
1: complex about these things, but this is actually a big, huge piece of this is, ARM was bought for, you know, $36 billion and they want to be sold for more money. Like, this was their opportunity to cash in for SoftBank to cash in on their investment. Um, so all of the technology and all of the regulation aside, this really comes down to, at, at, at some level, this is all about money and, you know, kind of irritates the investors that
0: they didn't get the investment uh, paid back. Oh, cry. I mean, and this is, look, I'm going to have to laugh and go, cry me a river for the investors. Like, of all the stack rank parties in all of this, the one group I do not give an s about is that i will
2: note the uh the consolation prize in this situation because the deal did not consummate uh in uh, nvidia had agreed to pay a separation amount to softbank so softbank will a receive a payment in the amount of 1.25 billion dollars for not getting to sell this thing, and then they immediately turned around and announced, we're going to spin this thing off into an IPO and probably in a supply-constrained chip market make more money in the IPO than they could have.
1: There is a certain irony there that, you know, timing being everything, uh, we we don't get the big payoff we wanted over here, but Mm -hmm. we got it over there.
0: Let me, let me play a mental game, and I'm going to plant this for everyone, and I want you to forevermore remember this. When you hear the word investor, replace it in your mind with the word gambler, and you are consistent entirely on the approach and thinking, yet it very much changes the way you perceive the statement. If I just say, like, it's a, the gambler didn't get what he were looking for, Think about that.
2: Well, see, I'll go, I'll go a step further, right? We're in the season uh, for those of you who are sports fans, right? Uh, Post regular season in the NFL, uh, all the coaches that were going to get fired got fired, right? And, and we often look at this and we say, "Oh, geez, it's terrible. That guy lost his job. Uh, I feel bad for him. What about his family? His kids? Well, you know, how's he going to pay for college?" Yeah, except when you're on a five-year, $9 million a year contract and you get fired with two years remaining and the terminology says you actually still get paid out 100% of the remaining value of your contract. I've often said, man, I'd, I'd like to get fired like that just once. Just, just <laughs> once. my career, fire me like that, right?
1: Yeah, even if I didn't get the last $2 million, I hope I haven't misspent the first
0: seven. I'd be spectacular at that firing. I could do that firing so well. I'd be really good at being fired.
2: You guys should fire me like that just one time. It would be awesome. But I will also say uh, the the investors ain't coming out in bad shape on either side of this deal. I, I will say again, from an innovation point of view, I am still hungry to hear what comes next, especially from the guys at NVIDIA. They have been telling an absolutely remarkable innovation story for the last 10 years. Uh, that's, that is a piece of technology that has gone from very weird little niche thing that only guys like us inside the industry had ever heard about to now 13-year-olds will fight each other in the street to get one of the video cards that they put into computers. I'm waiting to see what they do for their next trick because they've got some brains over
0: there. I'm sure the gamblers will be working that, yeah. aggressively on figuring that out. And all
1: of that is tied back to Bitcoin because you use your Nvidia cards to mine Bitcoin. So there you go. Sadly, with that summary of the universe, we are finished with episode 151 of the Killing It
0: It podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.